Hello podcasters, welcome to my little podcasting corner from where I can join you in your podcasting adventures and from where I can share mine. This is Adventures in Podcasting. Hello and welcome to Adventures in Podcasting. I am delighted to have another guest on the show today and someone that I wouldn't have met if it hadn't been for the fact that I was looking for people to come on the show and I saw what she was doing and I thought, yeah, she sounds like someone I can spend quite some time with recording. So listeners, I am delighted to introduce you to Michelle Ong, who's the host of the Steam Powered Podcast. So welcome, Michelle. Hello, Pilar. Thank you for having me. Yeah, all the way from the other side of the world, because I'm in London, but you're in Australia. Is that right? Yes, Perth, Australia. So eight, uh, six or seven, eight-ish hour difference. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's quite a bit. It's funny. I'm still amazed by the, the fact that we can do this. But anyway, uh, I wanted to go straight straight into the, the meat of the conversation. So let's start with, uh, why do you podcast, Michelle? Why do I podcast? Yeah, so I have never had any kind of media background before, but I had this idea that I really wanted to get a better idea about all the things that women in STEAM fields or STEM fields do. And, you know, I've got a few friends who do some incredible things in their work, and not many people know about them unless they're in that field itself. And I thought it was a real shame. And so, yeah, that's why I podcast. I want to be able to share what all these incredible women do in their work and in their lives and what makes them so interesting in STEM. Just for listeners who might not be aware of what the term means, is it is it STEM or STEAM? Okay, so this is a funny thing. Um, so this, the common term is STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, mathematics and medicine. So it might be one N or two M's. But my whole thing is STEAM because I think that A and the arts as a general field belongs in STEM. It is a bit of a hill of mine um, because STEM isn't just about the science and all the hard stuff that people talk about. It's also about the other hard stuff like ethics and art and design and the way we interact with technology and engineering and the world around us. And that is A. And mm -hmm. So for me, it's steam powered because it's all encompassing. All the stuff that we do touches all of these different areas. And it'd be interesting to see um, you yourself, you are a developer, aren't you? Is that right? That's right. So I have a background in computer science and for a living, I do web and um, yeah, I, I build web applications. That's my job. <laughs> But, you know, I have a great interest in all these other areas of you know, science, tech, eng, math, med, that is, you know, around us because, you know, it affects us every day. And you said that you had um, friends and people you already knew who were doing amazing things and you thought, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's bring them onto the podcast and, and share their story. So uh, we can go back to a little bit the, the uh, origin of the show. So you're around 43 episodes. So when, when about did you start the show, Michelle? Yeah, so I started in May of 2000. So it seems like a COVID project, but it wasn't. I've been, I'd been kind of thinking about it for about a year before that. And it literally was a year of me thinking, this is a really interesting thing that I would love to be able to see that I can't see anyone doing the way I'd like to do it yet. But who would talk to me? I have no background. <laughs> I'm a nobody. And who would want to tell me about their work and take time out of their lives to, you know, entertain this little hobby of mine? So that was a year of me thinking that there was no point giving it a go. And after a year and I'd kind of planned out everything down to, you know, the technology, the software that I would need, what kind of stuff that I'd have to do for editing and setup and web hosting and podcast hosting and all that, that I just went, well, I've planned it. I may as well do it. And yeah, so that's how I got into it. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, I think you said the year 2000. Did you mean 2020? Sorry, 2020, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Gosh. Yeah, I do that kind. Yeah, I do that kind of thing, and then I pick it up later in recording. I said, "What? What was that?" No, people understand. Um, but you said Absolutely. you were you'd been thinking about it for a while. That's so, that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, so so let's let's go there then. Uh, you started. You thought that nobody would speak to you. So, but you but you wanted the guests to be at the center of your show. So so how did you start looking for guests? I farmed my friends. <laughs> so, um, the first couple of people I approached were my friends. And the first, uh, my first guest was a friend of mine who's in biomedical science and she works in stem cell research. And I thought, wow, okay, so there are a lot of misconceptions about stem cell research still, even though it's, you know, 20 years on from-ish, from when it kind of first kicked in and everyone's thinking, you know, it kills babies and stuff like that. I thought, that's a really tough mm -hmm. one to start with. Is it going to be accessible? And I just thought, oh, you know, whatever, I'll just do it. You know, if people have trouble with it, then it creates discourse. And that's amazing because then we can talk about what the science is at now. Um, yeah, so I, I talked to my friends. I, you know, looked up some of the people on Facebook, uh, my old classmates, you know, what they're doing. And, you know, I just started to approach them one by one, get reference, uh, like recommendations from the people I've spoken to, from my friends. Hey, do you know anyone who's interesting who does stuff in this area who would like to talk to me? for an hour and yeah I had so many people giving recommendations and so I would send out all these cold messages um you know if I see an article or a paper online that I'm fascinated by the topic of I'll try and reach out to one of the authors and you know see if they'll talk to me about stuff um yeah it, it's just reaching out and being brave enough to contact complete strangers and hope that they won't turn you down <laughs> <laughs> uh, has anyone turned you down quite a few so it's, you know, I, I expect that it is a rejection economy. It, you expect that people are either going to ghost you or just not respond. And that's totally okay. Um, one of the things I didn't expect, though, were the people who responded saying, I don't know why you want to talk to me. I'm not very interesting. The work I do is really boring. Oh. And, you know, you've spoken to other people who have done and achieved so much more than I have. And that really puzzled me because it's like, really? You feel this way? Because, you know, they, they're comparing themselves to people in completely other fields and saying that they are higher achievers than they are. It's like, you can't compare. This is the work that you do. This is the thing that you've specialized and devoted your career to. It's not a competition. Like, you've done very well for yourself doing the thing that you're doing, and that's cool. And it's interesting to people who haven't heard what you do because it's new to them as well. And it's, yeah, that mindset was one of the things that really surprised me when I started approaching people about talking to me. That is very strong, as in, I never thought of that because, because I, yeah. I never even think if I'm interesting, I just say, yeah, I'll come and talk, whatever. Um, but the yes. fact that you're not just giving a space for people to share their stories, but actually probably giving them then a lot of confidence and reassurance and actually attention that they didn't think they deserved. So this is very powerful. Yeah. yeah. And it goes both ways as well, because in a few cases, it's their attention that they don't want, because a lot of them just want to quietly achieve and do the thing. And that's totally okay. But there are other people who don't realize that, you know, they actually have achieved and they have done a lot of good in their area. And, you know, they, they underplay their contribution to their field. And, mm. you know, that I feel is surprising. I don't think I'm really, you know, I feel sometimes I'm giving them pep talks. They don't necessarily need it, but it's one of those mm -hmm. things where it's about perspective. And you often need someone from the outside looking in, telling you what their perception is of what you do, because you're just buried in it all the time and you don't get this perspective of the scale of your work. And this this might be an, an odd question, but do you find then with guests who've given you this initial reply, do you feel that during the interview at all? Or actually once they're there behind the microphone, they are, you know, they're just concentrated on their stuff and so they're they're able to just go with it? Um, a little bit of both. Sometimes, you know, once you start them talking about what they're passionate about, they just keep going. And this is one mm -hmm. of the other things. Like when I first started planning about the format of the show, I thought 15, 20 minutes, you know, no one will want to talk longer than that. It will be a fairly shallow conversation. It's just an overview. And that first conversation with my friend, which, you know, was my friend, so it helped. 
but we spoke for over an hour and she was just happily talking about the work that she does and how passionate she was about it. And that is fairly common with the other conversations that I've had where once you start them talking about what interests them and what value, what they find valuable in their lives, they're just happy to keep talking about it. And that's amazing because it's, you know, I'm, I'm happy to listen because they're so passionate and so interested and so engaged with the content. Um, there are a few people who are a little bit more shy, but that tends to be more because in their head they might be thinking, oh, I'm being recorded, or they're just not comfortable mm. being spoken in an interview-ish sort of context, even though it is more of a – I try to make it more of a conversation. So, yeah, but for the most part they love talking, they love sharing, and they love – that people might want to hear what they do and what they love. You're really making me think about this in a perspective I hadn't looked at before because <laughs> I always think of the, 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 so the podcast is creating a space for themselves. Uh, the listener mm. is getting something from it because they're getting different um, ideas, perspectives, even how to's when they want them, entertainment, company, whatever. And yeah. I'd always thought, well, the guests get to be out there, which is mm. one one benefit for the guests, especially depending. I, I mean, one of my uh, shows is a business show, so I get lots of people who want their voices out there uh, to build their profile. Yes. But now I'm also seeing um, with you just the the benefit to the guest of just being there and creating the yeah. space for themselves to stop from their day from their usual conversations and have a conversation with someone completely focused on what they're doing. And mm. I feel that this is something that is sometimes missing is, is uh, in, in the day to day and just in the way we lead our lives, etc. Sometimes we just don't have the space to for an hour, talk to someone about what we're doing without an agenda, without thinking about why we're doing it. It's just, we just, talking about exactly. what we love doing and it, yeah so I'd never thought of, of of that that way yeah and that's what I really love about it because they get to share all the bits that they love and they hate about their work in a space where there is no you know there's no KPI to meet there is no mm. objective that has to be had it's just sharing you know what you like doing and what makes you keep going about it and so how do you prepare then for once you've established contact with a guest, um, how do you prepare for the interview? Um, I stalk them on the internet. So <laughs> if they don't provide me the information like that they want to talk about, they think that I would need to know beforehand, then I end up just Googling. Um, so I check out their LinkedIn. I look at their online profiles. Uh, for some of the researchers, I'll check out some of their recent publications and papers that they've worked on just to get an idea of kind of where they're at with what they're doing and what they might be interested in talking about. Um, it does help when they give me a bit of direction about, you know, <laughs> recent content they'd like to discuss. Um, and there are a few times where, you know, I've touched on topics which are a little bit too stale and so they've had to redirect me and that's fine. That's cool. Um but yeah, it, it's just looking up what they've got online, asking them what they'd like to talk about, um, getting a few talking points. Uh, for the ones that are more technical, I do have to kind of crash course on <laughs> what it is that they do, which can be a little bit stressful, but really interesting at the same time. Um, there was one who's an astrophysicist, and so I was crash coursing on, you know, black holes and, you know, astronomic, you know, phenomena and all that. It's like, okay. This is very broad and really kind of intense, but let's see where this goes. <laughs> I mean, that's really brave because one thing I found <laughs> uh, uh, is sometimes I go into a conversation where I don't know much about the subject and I can feel at some point I'm just not able to direct the conversation into anything deeper. Yeah. Um, but you just said that sometimes guests will redirect for you. So what has your mm. experience been uh, regarding this? Yeah, so sometimes it is a little bit tricky. And so I'll say, you know, look, I, I don't know a lot about this, but, you know, I know that you're doing this at the moment. Is there a way that we can talk about this in kind of an explain like I'm five kind of way to you know help make it a bit more accessible? Or is this a little bit too complicated? How can we, you know, talk about what you do in a way that is going to kind of work and I can understand and help direct the conversation? So it's a bit yeah. of a two-way process, um, just getting an understanding of, 
the shallow level of what they're doing, especially when it's particularly technical and, you know, hard science-y. Um, or just, you know, asking them to provide examples of real-world applications of what they do because in a lot of these cases it's science for the pursuit of science, but there's also science for the pursuit of um, augmenting human life. So several of these, you know, situations can be, look, this is the thing that I'm working on. It has also been used in this way. And other people that we're working with for research are building this thing, which will also do these. So it's, you know, adding a bit more context that way. And then from there we can go, okay, that's pretty cool. Tell me more about this. And, you know, it allows us to kind of explore some of these other topics without having to get down deep and, yeah, hopefully that makes it a bit more accessible to the listeners because I have no idea what their <laughs> uh, like intellectual or academic or education level is. So it's interesting in a way that hopefully people can get something out of, even if they don't get 100% out of it. Yeah, and you made me think as well when you mentioned the listeners that you are the hook for the listener as well. So yeah. it's fine. It's fine not to know that because the listener's with you. Yes, exactly. What about uh, you have a great um, form for for guests that you've got on your website, uh, which also has an acknowledgement uh, and a release form, which I will ask you about in a second. So have yeah. you had many people approach you through the form? And if so, how do you assess whether they're right or not? Okay, so I haven't had any one approach me through the form. So mm -hmm. um, I have had a couple of people who's, minions or whatever have contacted me saying that, you know, I'd like to know whether you'd like to speak to my boss. And, you know, that's been interesting. So it's been researching, kind of looking at, you know, what they do, whether it applies in some cases, because my scope is women in the STEM field. It's fairly broad, but at the same time, you know, there's a lot of gray in terms of, whether I still feel it's in scope for the show. So if they're purely about the business, about business, but they happen to be in a STEM area, like does that count? Is that something that people would find interesting? You know, where can I take their story if they're primarily approaching it from um, a business school perspective, for example? You know, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, trying to figure out whether it's something where they can talk about the field they're in in a way that's a little bit more applicable to the area. So if they're talking about tech, but they're not tech background, how far can we take it? What is the level of knowledge in terms of that area that they're in? And, you know, for a lot of people, they say you can't be a manager if you haven't done the work, but that's not necessarily true. You can still understand what you're doing without having to have had the background, but you still need to be able to speak about it. So, you know, it, it's just trying to get an idea of, you know, what sort of talking points we could have if they're not specifically in that area. Or if they are in that area, yeah, what can we discuss that kind of works in that space? It's, yeah, a little bit vague, but, yeah, it does involve a little bit of research just to get an idea of the background of who these cold contacts are and what kind of angle they're also trying to approach. Do you have conversations with them beforehand or, or it depends? or? Yeah, it does depend. I mean, a few of them, it's fairly obvious that, you know, it's just not going to be a good fit. They're just doing, you know, a broadcast run, trying to talk to everyone. Uh, for a few others, it's, yeah, this is cool. Um, what sort of talking points? What sort of angle are you looking at? Um, is this something that we can work together to make happen for you? Because, you know, I, I would like to speak to everyone because even if you're mm -hmm. not in that particular space, you can still be really interesting. And I'm nosy in that way. So it's, yeah, it's just trying to figure out if we can make it work. And yeah, that's the big thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, being nosy, I think, is like one of the qualities of a great podcaster. <laughs> because otherwise, <laughs> uh, I don't, how, how else do we continue? Uh, especially if you've got, uh, if you want to bring guests in, I think that, yeah, yeah nosy no, no is, a, is a great one. Um, and I really, um, I, I really like the, the fact that you said you know this that, that there's always there's always space for for someone to to share their story then they can still be interesting even if they don't just hit yes. all the exactly. all those points i've got a, a technical question for you regarding the release form and yeah. um this is interesting because it's something that to be honest i don't do uh, and and i've thought a lot of the times well i should do but 
I just don't. Uh, and is you have something relating to um, IP on your release form. So you're basically um, making that clear what the situation is about the intellectual property when a guest comes onto yeah. your show. Uh, how did you come about? Well, why did you decide to to put the the that release form in the in the guest notes? Yeah, so I didn't start off with one at all because I didn't think that it would be particularly relevant at all. Um, but I'm a member of a few different podcasting groups and some people have had issues with guests where, you know, it's become a content problem. The kind of guest that I have, I'm pretty sure, is fairly low risk for that kind of thing happening. But because I do want to explore the idea of repurposing the content into other formats. I felt it was best to have something like that in place just in case I did want to actually, you know, translate it from, you know, video and audio to text or to some other kind of format or restructure the content into, you know, other ways of presenting the information. And yeah, it's just general coverage. I don't really have a specific reason in mind for it other than that. And to be honest, it's a standard release that I've seen a bunch of other podcasters use. And yeah, I shopped around and asked a few of the ones who are doing it, you know, why did you do it? You know, where did you get yours from? What's your wording like? And just kind of, yeah, cobbled something together from there. So it's not entirely foolproof legal, but hopefully it gives Mm. people an idea of this is what I intend. Well, that makes complete sense. Uh, And um and, oh, and again, I hadn't thought of that. I'd, I'd seen it more from the <laughs> uh, legal point of view, which is say, you know, it's not, it, that wasn't its main uh, uh, purpose and it's not legal yeah. bulletproof, I think you said. Uh, but I hadn't thought of, yeah, if I want to do something else with this content, then I've got the clear, uh, the all clear. Uh, so I wanted mm. to ask you, um, you record with video for your show, don't you? So you've got That's this right. audio and video going on. And how do you find that? Well, when I actually started the show, what I intended was purely video. I didn't actually intend on a podcast at all because the idea was visibility for women in these fields. So visible means you should see them. Um, So the objective initially was to have videos you could actually see my guests. But, you know, after I released the first episode, a few of my friends went, it would be a lot easier if I could just listen to this because, you know, Mm. I don't really need to see them. And I went, okay, fair enough. So I just ripped the audio out, shoved it on podcast platform, and away we went. Um, That was pretty much how I went with that. But, yeah, so I still do the video aspect because I still think that is a thing that some people would like to have in terms of visibility. And also because of the wide range of guests that I have, um, some of them actually – perform better on video than they do on audio, which I was quite surprised by. So yeah, some of the guests, the YouTube um, episodes actually get more hits than the podcast platforms. And I haven't worked out the science of why. It does depend on who they are, whether they already have an online presence, what kind of audience they have. And yeah, so it does vary. And I still have find that there's value in having both mediums presented. Wow, that's interesting. Do you do any uh, editing on the videos? Um, so I do all my editing primarily in video, and then I just rip out the audio straight from that. Um, so the editing that I do do is, you know, just cutting out extra long silences. Um, if something comes up and, you know, we misspeak or whatever, I'll cut some of that out. Or if, you know, a bit of the conversation kind of veers off and they don't want it on the record, that goes out. But other than that, it's not really much to edit. It's fairly lean other than just cleaning up silence lengths um, just to make it flow a bit more smoothly, especially when you're listening to it. In video, you don't really notice gaps so much because you have the visual side of things to kind of carry you forward. But in audio, sometimes the gaps are a bit too long and it feels awkward. And have you uh, have you got any specific plans yet to repurpose the content in any other way or are you are you settled now with your video and audio? I have ideas and I have plans. Um, I don't have time. <laughs> um, that, that's the big one. Um, so because the conversations 
do kind of go on average about an hour, it is difficult for people to, you know, sit for that period. Even if they, you know, stop and start it, like long podcasts are just difficult. We don't really do a lot of long form content these days. So one of the things I did want to do was to do like themed short episodes where I might get, you know, a couple of the guests who are in a similar area or discuss a similar topic and edit that into something a little bit more digestible to, you know, give a, give maybe a 10, 15 minute thing or even a five minute thing, depending on what it is, so that people can jump in, listen, get a few ideas, be inspired, go away. Um, so that's one of the things that I would have liked to do. Um, there's, I, I do clip out like little snippets for promos at the moment so that is one of the things I do for individual episodes Um, but having like topic-based edits I think would be a bit more valuable for listeners especially if they don't have a lot of time Um, another thing is putting into written format so similar sort of thing getting themed ideas talking about a topic what the experts in this area have said about things and put that in a kind of yeah, a written form because some people still like reading, funnily enough. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in terms of fixed plans, none yet. But those are the sort of ideas where I'd like to be able to make all these wonderful bits of advice and all of these bits of inspiration that my guests have shared a bit more accessible to more people. I love that idea, especially the every, I don't know, I would love also every now and then to have uh, a themed um, episode, so not just the best of which we we get yeah. a lot of those. And as a listener, to be honest, I skip those. But uh, <laughs> a themed best of, you know, these are these are these people talking about this topic, and you have then the collection of guests. I think that'd be great, but it it takes such yeah. a long time. <laughs> it does. Like editing is a time sink. You know, it, it's it's great because I get to re-listen to these conversations over and over and over. But it's it is time consuming. It's one of those things where it would be wonderful to be able to just farm it out and have other people take care of it. But mm-hmm. you know, being able to edit is also an art. You need to be able to cut things together in a way that creates narrative and that does take time and you can't farm that out. Um but yeah, it's just one of the downsides of this entire content creation process. <laughs> yes. And so do you do the whole content polishing, everything? You look com- you look after the whole production process yourself? Yeah, pretty much end to end. So from uh, getting the guests, recording, editing, promotion, that's all me. Um, it's so much work. But yeah, it's <laughs> it, it's a process with a steep learning curve and you kind of start to build workflows for that as you get more practice with it once you get a better idea of how you like your things done how you want it to work and how you want things to sound so it it is a matter of just practice and just doing and you've been generous enough to summarize everything that you are using and the stuff that you've been learning uh, on the on the website can you just remind listeners of where that lies in case they are listening to the show and have the computer up and want to pull it out. Do you remember your <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. That? So I have my website for the show, which is steampowershow.com, and that's got all the episodes. That's the front-end stuff with all the guests and show information. But I also have my own personal site at michelleong.com, M-I-C-H-E-L-E-O-N-G.com. And I have a section on there called The Rail Yard where I document all the technical stuff of how I produce the show and the podcast and in the software I use, the kind of equipment I have, um, some of the technical things that I've learned on the way, um, if you're programming inclined, I also have scripts that Mm -hmm. I run to generate my images and various other bits of the um, product that I create. So yeah, if you want to check out the technical side of how this happens, go there. I think it's really, really, really worth checking out, both as a, from a content point of view, as in it, there might be something useful for, for everyone. At the same time, um, I don't have anything like that for any of my shows. And I think it's so <laughs> wonderful to land in this world of the podcast and the podcast creator. I think it, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's really, really nice. It's very inspiring. Uh, yeah. And so... So, so you're a so you're a programmer. So, would you say that you are a woman in STEM? Yes, I am. <laughs> Absolutely, <Yeah. laughs> woman in STEM, programmer, tech nerd. You know, 
used to build computers when I had more time. Like it, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's a field that I love because it's just constantly changing and I would love the opportunity to, you know, have more of a hand in it in some way. But yeah, it's it's a field that's very near and dear to me. <laughs> what have you learned from your guests or through podcasting? Because I think that sometimes we learn things from the conversations we're having the guests, but we also yeah. in, in the process of podcasting and your process is so uh, long and rich that there must be also some stuff. So let's start with guests then. Sorry, I, I tend to do this. <laughs> I tend to throw a lot of questions at once at the guests. Uh, so That's okay. wh what have you learned from your guests and what have you, or what are you taking from your guests? You know, every single conversation I have is just this incredible wealth of information and just understanding that, you know, we all have these amazing, incredible journeys with a lot of commonality. And, you know, it's it's basically like having a mentor every time I have a conversation because they're <laughs> sharing all this stuff that they've learned along the way about life and their career or, you know, what's important to them. And to me, that's really valuable. You know, aside from understand getting a better understanding of all these other incredible things that occur in STEM all around us, You know, it's also understanding more about people and connection and, you know, just learning that we kind of have the same sort of problems and we all have, you know, similar experiences in parts of our journey, no matter what area we're in or where we're from or where we are in the world for that matter. And yeah, it's, I think the connection aspect is what I've learned the most from speaking to all these amazing people. And yeah, it's, I wouldn't know where to start with specifics because there's just so much. Mm. And, you know, I'm so privileged to have the opportunity to speak to all these people who I would normally not have the opportunity to meet just because of doing this entire show. Yeah, it's amazing the 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 calling card that is the podcast in a way, as in the, the it, it gives you access to so many people in a way that maybe if you said, oh, can I just meet you for a coffee? Of course, it would be like, huh? <laughs> That's very strange. Yeah. Uh, but then, but exactly. the, the podcast also gives you a, a structure and an environment that people know what they're showing up for as well. Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to probe a bit. You yeah, said sure. that what you've learned is mainly about connection. What do you think is that, that you've been, that, that you've been reflecting more around that or that you've been learning and thinking about that um, through the conversations with your guests? Um, it's about, you know, the way that these women entered their field or had their journey to STEM and their motivations because some of them had very linear paths and a lot of them didn't. And finding that impetus for finding their purpose and their passions and their goals is just enlightening because you get a bit of an understanding into how they came to those decisions and it makes you reflect on your own decisions and how you approach things and how you approach your own work and how you approach life and you know it gets if to me it feels a bit philosophical hopefully it doesn't get that deep um but yeah it, it's just being able to share with people about you know how they approach our different crossroads in life And for, you know, a lot of people, they, you know, there were sea changes or they changed courses at university or, you know, that something happened right before they started uni that made them think about what they wanted to do with their lives or they're progressing in their career and thinking, you know, what, what is my end goal? What is my definition of success? You know, do I want to stay in this field? How do I switch out? Where do my skills take me? And what does my past experience do for that future? And, you know, it, it's thinking about all of these things about what makes us who we are and what makes our journey our journey. And that's what I feel is important about connection because we're all on our own journey. It's really nice to hear the reflection of like from someone who has the overview and, and what is coming out for them. I, um, I love it. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, you said people from all over the world. Do you find that you, uh, you have you talked to people across the world? Do you find that you're happening to land more in a specific region? Uh, Australia is a lot easier to coordinate time zone wise, uh, just because <laughs> yes. of geography. Um, but yeah, I have quite a few guests in 
Uh, let's see, I haven't actually checked the distribution yet, but I have quite a few American, quite a few Australian, probably a lot more Australian, uh, a few mm-hmm. from the UK and Europe. Um, yeah, some, uh, only a couple in Asia. But, yeah, it, it's just wherever I can find people who will talk to me and we can coordinate a time. And, yeah, the time zone is the hardest thing. And sometimes that makes things a bit more challenging. Yeah, the practical nature of it. Um, so I want to go back to the, the what you're taking from the show in a more holistic way. Let me ask you first, has, so has your, your view of how women contribute to, I'll say, STEAM uh, and their profile, has, has that changed at all over the last couple of years? Yes and no, because I always had the impression that, you know, We like to do things and we like to achieve. We don't necessarily want to talk about the fact that we're doing and achieving. And that's just partly because that's how I have also done things. It's not been a thing that I I wouldn't have considered myself a science communicator, but I've spoken to a lot of women who are. So their job is to be very vocal and very public about what they do. Um, mm. A couple of the things that I did notice, though, um, I, one of my guests wrote a paper about how there's the perception of science, female science communicators in the in you know the community and doing public outreach and perceptions of them, and they're not all very positive. So the ones who are a lot more vocal tend to be um, considered either bossy or just too in your face, and with a lot harsher words. Mm-hmm. So that has been interesting because it's a little bit of um, a double-edged sword because on one hand you want to be visible, you want people to know that we are here and that we do things and we do cool stuff. On the other hand, if you get too vocal about it, it feels as though you're evangelizing and some people take that very poorly. So that kind of idea about the perception of science communication and being public-facing in this sort of capacity has changed a little because it makes me think a little bit more about how we communicate and how we do outreach um so yeah it's it hasn't really changed much overall but it has made me more aware if that makes sense yeah completely and 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 again it, it's making me think a lot about the stuff because this is <laughs> stuff that is so it, it's so applicable to to a lot of yeah. us and especially um to those of us who who have a show and, and are advocating because in a sense that's just that's what we're doing <laughs> we're advocating right. for we either advocates. a certain idea <laughs> certain group yes yes uh, so Wow, thank you for that. And then I, I, I do want to come back to you learning these things through your interactions with guests. Is there anything else that you've learned about yourself or, or about the wider world through setting up the podcast? I mean, it took you quite, you, you took a long time in just setting the foundations for it. You were saying you were thinking about it for a year and stuff, and then finally you yeah. went, okay, let's let's do this. Is there anything that struck you about that process uh, that you weren't expecting? Absolutely. Um, my confidence issues. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because it, there was a lot of self-doubt because uh, I've been freelancing doing my day job since 2008 and I work from home for myself and I do all my work remotely. So for the last 10 or so years, a lot of my work has been on my own and not really interacting with a lot of other people in my field except via like chats and video calls. Mm -hmm. And it made me kind of reflect on, again, connection and growth career and personal growth so when you know it came time to me thinking about the podcast I was trying to evaluate my own personal value my own personal skill set and what I can do and what I can contribute um so getting to the point where I was brave enough to put my face on the internet and my voice on the internet and talking to people that was quite a step for me because You know, while I'm okay with public speaking, this is a different scale. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting kind of process for me to try and figure out, you know, whether I could commit to this and how I would feel about the fact that I'm a bit more visible than I have been. Um, so there was a lot of learning there, a lot of kind of soul searching. 
Um, but it was also, you know, finding out that, you know, there is a lot of value in networking, which is a conversation I've just had recently because, you know, working by yourself primarily as a freelancer, networking opportunities aren't always there unless you put yourself in specific positions to do it. And when I was at university, the way that networking was conveyed wasn't very well done. Like it didn't make sense to me why we would do it because we'd be told to attend these events, talk to people, get to know them, network. So what does that mean? So you don't know, you know, you never know who will come in handy. So it was very mercenary. And for me, that felt very strange because, hi, I'm this here's my business card. Perhaps you'll contact me for something at some point. And to me, that felt really strange and awkward and really unpleasant overall as an experience. Um, But, you know, what people should have been explaining back then was networking is about connecting with people. You don't necessarily want to connect with them because you will have a use for them. Having a use for people just feels very um, transactional and you don't make connections by being completely transactional. So if it was like, you know, find out what they do, talk to them, get an understanding of the other stuff that they do, not just about the work they do. You don't just go up and say, all right, what company do you work for and what position do you hold? What value do you have to me? And yeah, it's one of those things that I picked up talking to people, trying to find guests, talking to their recommendations and their friends and finding out that other people do these other interesting things and, you know, are you know, interesting people in their own right. And that's how you network. And it doesn't have to be for a purpose. It could just be because you want to know them. And that is one of the most important things I think we need to teach about networking. <laughs> that, it, yeah, it, it's about the people, not about the function. Yeah, I completely agree. And a lot of that resonates. Um, I've, yeah. I've been to events and I will really just meet properly one or two people because I don't have the bandwidth to try and talk to people and also what I really love is is what they always say don't do uh, in those kind of uh, uh, events and that kind of view of networking is I will just find the one person I'm comfortable with and then I can talk to them all (laughs) the rest of the evening (laughs) and they're and that's what they tell you not to do (laughs) yes (laughs) yeah but I, I think I'm like you that I'm I didn't even know this, uh, but what I what I enjoy is a deep connection with someone, and even yeah. with like I've I've been introduced and connected with people that could be possible clients, but if mm. I don't find that connection, then I, I'm just I'm not interested. Like I can't make myself be interested. It's uh, yeah. it's when I find you need common ground of some sort. Yeah. Yes. Yes, and I suppose there's also the the chemistry um, aspect, and uh, yeah, so I, so all of that resonates, and and you're also making me think that networking for growth, personal growth, or or even professional growth, as in the more the, not not the client facing thing, um, yeah, is a is a really it's a much nicer angle for some of us that we are creating those connections and creating that network so that we can enrich ourselves rather than, like you say, having a transactional role in mind. Yeah, precisely. And, you know, so many of the connections I've made through this, like none of them are going to be particularly relevant to my field of work. And that's okay because I've met a bunch of other people and I've met people in completely different circles and connected them because I thought they would be good fits. And that, to me, is so much more valuable because you're also allowing other people to make connection. You're helping other people, you know, find these ways of connecting to others that they wouldn't have found themselves. And, yeah, that, that's where I see the value in networking because you're able to join the dots and it's on a much more personal level than what we've been instructed to do before. Yeah. And uh, uh, setting up a podcast, even without intentionally thinking of it like that way. Actually, I'll backtrack because I know (laughs) many podcasters who did set up the podcast with that intention of, I don't have anyone to talk to about this. (laughs) So Mm. I'm going to go out and look out for them and we're going to get behind the microphone and put it out uh, to the world. Yeah. 
And that's perfectly fine as well because, you know, the way that we work these days, you know, we have the world like literally in front of us. And there's so many people doing so many things that align with what we do as well. But we won't always have the opportunities to connect with them because of geography. And that's, you know, it's, it's just a pragmatic way of you know, thinking about it. Being able to connect with people in other places around the world doing similar things and finding a way to make that happen. Like it, it's the best way of doing it, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Uh- Okay, um, I've got also some technically kind of things I wanted to ask you by looking through your through all your your <laughs> stuff. Uh, it, it might feel a bit uh, start and stop from from now on, uh, but I wanted to ask you about some of the things you're doing around the show and to support sure. to support the show. Um, so you've got affiliate links. Um, mm-hmm. Did you start doing that right from the beginning as well? Or is this something that you've been adding on just as, as a way of supporting the show? Why did you introduce um, them? Just to create additional ways of getting support for the show. Because at the moment, it's still run on a shoestring. It's hobby money, effectively. I don't make any money from this, but it would be nice to be able to cover costs. So once I actually started creating the content, I started looking at ways of, you know, having ha- helping to fund it. Um, the affiliate links do help. I don't really get a lot of uh, transactions through that, but it gives people options. And, you know, I, I set up Patreon. I set up Kofi for the crowdfunding stuff. I've got affiliate links with some of the services that I use. You know, if it's available to me, I'll put it up there. I haven't been actively promoting that, though I've been told I should. Um, <laughs> so it's trying to find ways of being able to incorporate it without sounding like I'm putting an ad out every five minutes because that's disruptive and not helpful for the conversation or for flow. Um, so it, it's it's a fine balance in trying to figure out how to, yeah, be able to support the project as well as not feeling as though you're peddling yourself to try and get money for it. Yeah, it, it's a tough balance. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to take this opportunity to to plug my affiliate links for this show because <laughs> I always forget and I always yes. finish the show and then I'm doing the show notes and I've got it in the show notes because I have a template in the blog post. But then I'm like, ah, right. I didn't say it again. <laughs> so I've got affiliate links for Buzzsprout if anyone's looking for a podcast uh, uh, media host. And this is what this show is hosted on. Listeners, you can support me by <laughs> clicking on those affiliate links. But I completely agree. I just forget. I don't even, yeah. I, I just forget about it because it's not the core part. But at the same time, it is nice if the show starts to at least support itself. That's right. It's a tough one. Yeah. And we, we experiment. I mean, the, the thing is, sometimes I'm feeling like um, my issue is that sometimes I want to experiment with everything because yes. there are so many things out there now. Um, and so what does your recording setup look like? So I have a study with a ring light. So okay, because of the video component, I've got a ring light. I've got a webcam, which does up to 4K, um, but I don't need that. Like, it honestly, I don't <laughs> really put the video out in 1080 because there's no real point. It's just a conversation on a video call. Um, mm. I've got a microphone, which is an XLR Rode microphone. Um, I was I started out using a headset. Terrible idea. Don't do that. Um, get <laughs> A mic that's dedicated to being a microphone um, because once you're editing, you realize how awful it sounds when you're not using equipment that's remotely designed for that purpose. I, I don't have a lot of sound treatment. I ought to. That's in progress. Um, mm. But I'm, I've got a bunch of books behind me, carpet below me to try and, you know, soften acoustics in the room. Uh, the room's not huge, so that's helpful, although I did previously record in a dining room, which was in a complete open space, and I just had to live with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's just what happens when you're just cobbling things together and hoping for the best. Um, but yeah, so the future plan is to add some acoustic tile. You know, I've already got reasonable microphone, trying to do a bit better with audio editing, working on that. Learning a bit of sound engineering is helpful. But yeah, there's so many tools out there that help you do all of these things is absolutely incredible and not all of them are terribly expensive so you know you can start off with you know all your free stuff and then just upgrade as you go which is what i've done so 
yeah, that's pretty much my setup. It's a little cobbled together, but it's serviceable. <laughs> Well, it it sounds great from this from this end. Uh, so Excellent. yeah, I mean, so much stuff just just in all of that. Um, so one, the you can't wait for the perfect setup. Like you said, you yeah. started in the dining room with the headset because actually th- that's it, and that's what you've I got have. to start. Yeah. You've exactly. just got to start. Yeah, and the other thing uh, about the external microphone. So I've got some ideas on this, but I'm going to ask you first. <laughs> sure. <laughs> to totally transparent. How aware are you of the microphone in front of you? I mean, oh, now I'm thinking that because you use video, that's slightly different. But yeah, how how aware are you of that microphone? Um, you just get used to it, I suppose. Like the one that I had uh, before, I've, I guess the one that I'm currently using now has is attached to a boom arm, so I can lift it and lower it, move it when I don't need it. The one I had before used to sit in front of me on a desk stand, and even though it's meant to be directional, it would pick up my laptop fan noise because my laptop's right in front of it and so I'd had to have a I put a shoebox in front of it with some padding in it to try and deaden and I was very aware of that because it was a very colorful shoebox um (laughs) but you kind of get used to it like you have I've got my microphone about what they recommend about six inches away from my mouth I've got the yeah got it just sitting in front of me you can see it when it's on the camera and I've just you know I try not to hide it because it looks more obvious when you're trying to hide something. Yeah. So it's right where it needs to be. I just keep talking as though it's not there and you just get accustomed to it. It's, yeah, it's not really a problem at all once you get the hang of it. Good, good. So um, I'm going to start to to wrap up, uh, but, sure. but not softly. Uh, <laughs> is there any anything else that you're thinking that, I mean, you've mentioned a few things already, but is there anything else that, has really made a difference in your setup apart from your microphone that maybe listeners might be interested in or workflow yeah so workflow wise having software that does the thing that you need to do really does help um one of like i i because of the video component i use davinci resolve to edit the video i don't use the um hosted stuff online just because i like to have a bit more control and davinci resolve is great for that Um, but because it is audio and we are working with podcasts, uh, a big thing for workflow is audio editing. And I would like the first year I would just be mucking around with knobs and dials and individual resolve and, you know, trying, you know, cheap ways of making the sound less rubbish. (laughs) And it's just a waste of time. Like if you have a little bit of money, just buy something like Isotope RX, which is an amazing bit of software. I'm not getting any kind of affiliate payments for this. I just really like the software. And they've got a cheap version and it goes on sale a lot. So if you have a few bucks to spare, buy the cheap one. And then every now and then, because you've got the cheap one, they give you discounts on the next level up. And then see if you've got some money to throw at it then, then you do it then. And it, it was funny because I would be struggling so hard with the audio stuff and I got so mad one day, I just went, fine, you know, Black Friday, buying this thing now. And it made life so much easier. I saved so much time and I wasn't, ba- I, I could live my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, um, if, you, if you can afford software to make life easier, buy the software. Like seriously, don't waste time and, you know, waste precious hours in mucking around using substandard products. It's just not worth your time. Content creation takes enough time as it is without making it worse. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a question then because I hadn't heard of Isotope. So I use Audacity and then I run the audio through Euphonic just for polishing. Is Euphonic a service? I forgot. They've got two ways in which you can use it. One is web-based. So you just have an Mm -hmm. account. The first two hours are free every month which is great. But I bought for, I think it was $65 um, American dollars, the software. So I've got an app. So Mm -hmm. unfortunately with my Mac, I have to, um, (laughs) you have to go into the privacy settings because it, 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 Mac thinks it's not safe. It is. (laughs) So it is a bit of a, and they know, they know this. Uh, So yeah, yeah, so I just, I've got it downloaded on my, on my computer, which is handy. But I'm just wondering whether, if you would know um, whether Isotope could either could add something to to what I'm doing already, um, I, yeah, because I'm not an audio engineer, I cannot be official on this. But the <laughs> issue that I was trying to resolve was noise reduction, 
And mm. because I was in an open space, it was a little bit more difficult to try and reduce um, resonance and echo and stuff like that. So I found Isotope really helpful for this. So DaVinci Resolve has some built-in stuff. I just wasn't quite getting the results I wanted from that. And Isotope made it f- relatively easy to get out what I wanted without too much time spent on it. Mm. Um, I tried Audacity, didn't really work for me. I couldn't get what I needed for all, but that's because of my environment. And at the same time as well, um, because I can't control my guests' recording environments, I was spending a lot of time trying to treat their audio or just letting it go and hoping nobody would care. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, I had one guest who had cicadas in the background and so that was fun. Um, I had to try and reduce that. And Isotope mm-hmm. really, I, it didn't knock it out. I could, you can't knock it out. It's just cicadas. What are you going to do? But I was able to mitigate some of the issue a lot more easily with Isotope than I would have with the other free tools that I could have had. I heard good things about Euphonic though. So, mm. you know, it's, you, you find a tool that works for you, stump up for it like that. <laughs> That's really pretty much how I feel about that. <laughs> Yeah, no, and that's great. I mean, yeah. Euphonic is it's the end bit. So for 21st century work life, I don't use it because I have an engineer who wraps mm-hmm. it all up. Uh, so yeah. he does that. But for all my other shows, which I'm doing on myself, uh, it's yeah. great. But I think the but I'll have a look at Isotope just to see what it does because I'm always interested. And like you said, I think the the thing that resonates most is that. And, spe- and you knew that you had a specific problem that you needed yeah. to solve that the stuff you had. So you've got to look at with microphones and setup and microphones as well, mm-hmm. setup software, you have to understand the environment that you're recording right. in and, and then find something that is going to work for you. Um, mm-hmm. It's trial and error as well or asking around. It but is. Yeah. And it's an iterative process. You're going to find that, you know, over time, as you get more experience, once you get better understanding of what you like, what you need, what your environment's like, you, you know, you learn what sort of equipment or software or, you know, tools that you need to make that process a lot easier. And it's just a learning thing. My last question uh, I'm <laughs> going to ask you. So in uh, uh, the, the end of your episodes, uh, do you always keep it the same or how do you wrap up? I find it very difficult to wrap up. How do you wrap up your <laughs> episodes? Yeah, wrapping up, like opening and closing, I found quite challenging until I got kind of used to it and even now I don't know if it's really you know if it really works but it works for me (laughs) um but at the end of each of my shows I ask my guests the same three questions and they are you know what are my questions you're gonna have to edit that uh what hobby or interest yeah yeah. what hobby or interest do you have that's most unrelated to your field of work and I ask that one because we're in STEM but we have layers we have dimensions we have other things we're interested in I'd like to know what they are and, you know, we're not just people who sit doing lab work or computer work. We, we have other interests. So that's cool. I ask, you know, what childhood book holds the strongest memories? Because I like reading. I like books. And I have yeah. books which I've held with me since child book, childhood and they've meant yeah. a lot to me. And I'm sure other people who read will have the same thing. And I like to know what they read. And it's fascinating to hear the kind of books that they were interested in. Some of them are connected with what they do now. Some of them are just because it's whimsy. Some of them, are, you know, it's just a factor of where they grew up or their family relationships. You know, one of them, a few of them, in fact, were saying that their favorite books were the ones that they read with their parents. And mm. so it, it's, you know, finding out more about that kind of aspect of, you know, who they are and where they came from. And that's cool. And the last one is what advice would they give to someone who wants to do what they do and what advice would should they ignore? Because advice is great, and it could be advice about work, about life, about anything at all. And, you know, the advice that they share is, you know, a lot of times really enlightening because it comes from our individual experiences and everyone has a different experience. And so they come to different conclusions about how you can approach things. And the important part about what advice to ignore is because, a lot of times we get given really bad advice, advice that doesn't apply to us at all, doesn't fit our context. And knowing when to ignore advice is also a really good, important skill to have in life. So, you know, it, it's that kind of thing where I give that structure because these are interesting, useful things that people might want to know that aren't necessarily about what we do. And, mm-hmm. yeah, so it, it's just a little bit of extra interest. 
I love them. They're great. And also, uh, you've always got something <laughs> there to start wrapping up. They're great. Um, I, I, what's your childhood book? Uh, one of the childhood books that has strongest memories for you? Because I'm, I'm an avid reader as well, and, yes. and books are just part of my life. Yeah. So the books, like childhood, childhood books were Enid Blyton. I grew up in Enid Blyton mm -hmm. and I loved it. I understand it's problematic now, but for me, it, I connected with it a lot as a child because it was fun. It was whimsical. It, you know, it was, you know, I just liked the stories because they were just really creative and it allowed this amount of escapism, which I really enjoyed. Um, and then in my teen years, I read a lot of Tamora Pierce, so um, Song of the Linus Quartet and all the other quartets that she wrote. And, you know, I, I love those as well because it was about sheroes. I think she coined that term as well. So uh, girl, girls who can be heroes as well. They're the protagonists. They drive the story. They save things. They save themselves. So all of those sorts of stories I found I really enjoy just because – It was nice to be able to see that kind of representation. And I know that's a word that gets bandied about a lot these days, but it is true. And yeah, it, they were just the kind of stories I really enjoyed reading because fantasy is fun. I can see why you ask that question. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> right. I've just got two, two questions to wrap up with, uh, which sure. are the, the, uh, one of them is, I'm going to steal it from you. So uh, uh, one is, what advice would you give podcasters who want to, to, to do something similar to what you're doing in podcasting? But I also want you to, to ask you if you could recommend any podcasts, so other shows that you listen yes. to. Um, that might be good for us to hear as podcasters. Not that they are about podcasting, but something yeah. that you think actually is a good listen. So you choose what order you do the two questions in. All right. Advice? Yes. Literally just do it. Like if, <laughs> if you have an idea and you want to execute it, just execute it. Worst case, you don't get listeners, but you get to enjoy what you're doing anyway. Um, because the barrier to entry for podcasting is so low these days. There's so many free platforms to put stuff out on. Or you, you really only need a microphone and away you go. So whether you're doing it with a friend, whether you're doing um, guests, whether you're you know using it as a platform to get out your creative content. I know a lot of um, authors and creative types who are doing a lot of writing who use podcasting as a way to get their material out as well and to get a feel for their content in a different medium. So whatever it is, whatever you want to do with it, give it a shot. You've got nothing to lose. Uh, podcasts that are really cool to listen to. There are so many. Um, <laughs> yes. There really are. So one I've started listening to is uh, How to Fail with Elizabeth Day, which is very cool. Um, Elizabeth Day speaks to guests about their failures in life, <sighs> and that's fun. Life lessons, interesting anecdotes, very cool guests. So that one's pretty awesome. Nice. Um, 99% Invisible, I think it was called. It's technically kind of an engineering design architecture. -y. Like it's a bit of everything, but it's stuff about the things that we take for granted in our day-to-day -day that comes from the way that we build or design things. Wow. And I'm explaining this not that great, but it, it's, it's fascinating because There are a lot of things to do with infrastructure or, you know, the way that we design buildings or the way that we design cities or how animals interact with our environment. That's kind of weird and interesting. So they've, they've got different episodes about all sorts of things. And that's, is just fascinating. One of my guests has one called My Nuclear Life Podcast, and it's talking about nuclear science in life and in society and in culture and how nuclear science has impacted us as a society, which I find absolutely fascinating. Um, wow. One of my favorite episodes of hers was talking about um, nuclear science in cinema and music. And that was very cool because you don't, you, know, you, you take for granted the fact that it was such a massive part of our history that it's kind of pervaded all these little parts of our lives. And it's interesting because of the stigma there is behind it as well even though it's all around us. Those are the three that I've got so far that are very cool, but there's so many out there, my goodness. Yes, I know that. <laughs> I find it so stressful, I have to say, because 
<laughs> between the access now to podcasts and all the podcasts that they are. And like, yeah. I mean, the, the three that you've mentioned, they sound, I'm going to check them out, <laughs> especially the one about the, the invisible stuff, yeah. because I think about that quite a lot. Um, so with all the podcasts out there, there are also the access to books as well. I'm, I'm a heavy yes. Kindle user, so it's, I'm so stressed out. <laughs> anyway, yeah, there's well, so much media. <laughs> yes, yes. Michelle, Michelle Ong from the Steam Powered Show, uh, steampoweredshow.com. Thank you so much. It's been delightful to speak to you. I am grateful to the OSA Collective, which is a, an online community for women podcasters that actually I barely use, but that's where I found you. So I'm grateful yes. to them for providing that uh, networking actually that access uh, and it's been uh, it's been really 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 great to have you here so thank you very much yes thank you so much Pilar really enjoyed this conversation and you know thanks for sh letting me share my passion and my ramblings <laughs> that's it for today's thoughts and adventures in podcasting I would love to hear your thoughts So if you want to get in touch, head over to adventuresinpodcasting.com. My name is Pilar Orti. Thank you for listening. Keep podcasting. Podcasting.